the reframe was maybe you're not meant to die, but maybe this version of you is meant to die. And this identity that you've been holding onto is long past how long you've been supposed to be holding onto it. And it's past this expiration date and it's time to let that go. And oftentimes who we think we are, how we're supposed to live our life and how we're not living up to it is creating this kind of fractured consciousness in which we're living our life. And with that, of course, you're going to have depressive tendencies because you're living so out of the life that you think you should be living. First of all, man, thank you for being here. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. There are a few people online who you're like, that person is doing it the right way. Mm. And in this conversation, I, I want to unpack where that comes from and how you are who you are today. And I guess a good place to start would be with showing you this image of yourself. <laughs> oh boy, what's going to be on this? <laughs> and that, we'll flash it on the screen for those watching on that YouTube. That is hilarious. Where did you even find this? On, on Google somewhere. Yeah. That's... What comes to mind? You know, I was probably 18 or 19 in that photo. Just was going to college for about half a semester before I decided to drop out. But I still had the dorm room experience and got to see a lot of my friends who decided to go to Michigan State also. Um, had fun. Uh, but also, just I, I knew what I wanted and I was very driven at that stage. So what I first think, looking back, is just, just gratitude looking at that image, you know, um, and just feeling as the continual progression and, you know, you manifest what you once thought. I think sometimes we fall trapped to just what the next thing is because we don't really take a moment to acknowledge where we're at now because in a way for us to even arrive there, we have to expect it. And and so, you know, I've been taking more space, especially, you know, my birthday's coming up and just these, these couple of weeks actually reflecting. And yeah, man, first thing is a lot of gratitude. Second thing is I hope all those people in, the, in that picture are healthy and happy and whatever they're doing in their life. And uh, just, just ultimately grateful, man. Yeah, it, it's really cool because you can see the difference in your face in that photo versus yours today. Totally. And it's like, what is that? Well, one facial hair. <laughs> that's that's definitely got to be up there. <laughs> uh, two, yeah, at nineteen, probably about six to twelve months after, whenever that was, um, I kind of switched paths in many ways. I was from about fifteen, sixteen, very focused on personal development, growth. Tony Robbins, Bob Proctor, Jim Rohn, Dale Carnegie. A lot of these guys that have like just amazing advice for having a growth mindset and living a fulfilled life. But there was a little bit more that I felt like I uh, really wanted to tap into and kind of had a falling out with a group of friends of mine around 19. And at that point, I shifted in two big ways. I went and sat a meditation retreat. So 10-day Vipassana, uh, went attended Sadhguru's retreat, um, went to his ashram, and started meditating a lot more. I met this guy who was a Shaolin descendant. Uh, and I went completely plant-based after that. 
I also just got like really focused on my health and realized that like I'm super gluten sensitive. So cleaning that up, cleared up like my fog, my just mental fog that I had. Um, and so I definitely found like more vibrancy after that period at 19, then moved out to LA and started that whole chapter. Um, but yeah, had a big pivot moment for sure. Okay. So I find that so much of what life is, is like the recognition of people who inspire you. And your life will turn out to the people who inspire you and the people who catch your gaze and catch your filter of like, that person's doing it right. Your filter was around personal development and growth and and also like this person you met when you were 19 years old of, wow, this guy is different in some way. What was it about him? And what was it in the people you were seeking mm -hmm. in general? For me, I think we all come across individuals who are a pattern interrupt from our traditional ideals, what we grew up around believing is, you know, is possible. And, you know, growing up in the Midwest in Michigan, the, the, the common narrative, and I feel like for the majority of, of individuals we grew up around is like, you go to school, you got a degree, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a good job, you work for 40 years for somebody else, make a decent salary, build up a retirement, and then retire, you know, when you're 50, 60 and I just never liked that storyline. When? When? Yeah. When what? When was the first moment you realized, oh, that storyline like, is like, for like me? Like 15, yeah. Yeah, I just realized immediately that um, I just wanted to to squeeze the most out of life. I love to travel. I love to explore. I love to learn and grow. And uh, I look at my life and I really point back to a series of individuals that I met that kind of saw more in me than I saw myself at, at certain moments. And that opened me up to allow to, to feed into that curiosity. You know, I think whatever we admire in others, there's a part of us that wants to come online in that direction. And so, you know, whether it was at 15, 16 or 19, or still to this day, people that I meet, uh, what I'm most attracted to is just the quality of freedom. And that expresses itself in many different ways. What does it look like to have freedom in your body? What does it look like to have freedom in your mind, to have spiritual freedom? What does that look like? And meeting individuals who embody those in different ways really inspired me. And so I think when I came across what was a pattern interrupt in the form of a human being that felt like their human, like their consciousness was pure, like they could see very clearly, they had a, a level of an aura of clarity around them. And maybe they had like spiritual gifts that came online and these different things that uh, we're just not exposed to very often because modern society is kind of breeding individuals that are resonating at lower frequencies. It kind of just is what it is. And so, uh, yeah, those pattern interrupts led me to asking deeper questions and then ultimately switch, switching behaviors and actions and creating a different life for myself. If you had to boil down that search in a question, what would it be? Who are you? Mm. Who am I? Mm. You know, it's the, I think the, the crux of it at the deepest level. Um, and before you get there, probably who am I not is, is a better place to start. And because we're so closely identified with our caste, our creed, our ethnicity, uh, the place we grow up, the friends that we hang around and what other people want for us, we're just, essentially accumulated noise from other people's beliefs and opinions. And when you see that, and it takes some some practice just to observe that, how much of who we think we are is simply conditioning, then you can tap into 
what is the essence of you that is more actually who you are and how you want to express in this life? And that's a process of self-discovery, but first deciding or first discovering who you are not. And uh, that's a process of, that's, that's a journey of our life really, <laughs> is, is releasing all those layers of who we think we are to discover who we ultimately truly are in our, our deepest essence and then how that expresses itself creatively in the world. What was, when you look back on on your journey, is there a moment that strikes you as like, this moment I felt more connected to everything than any other moment? Yeah, there's there's a few. Uh, many times in the mountains of Hawaii with like my men's group or group of friends, uh, it, it always, one quality of that feeling is always I'm in nature. You know, I think we remind, we're reminded of our own nature when we are in nature. It's something that we are evolutionary, evolutionarily, you know, uh, developed in. And now we're so, uh, separated from. And I think when we're separated from nature, we kind of are separated from our own nature. And so that's definitely one quality. And then community has always been a big thing. I've just loved people and the different flavors of how people express and, um, so a couple of times, yeah, a couple of things come to mind for sure. When, when you talk about community and bringing people together, that's something that I, when I was doing research for this, I uncovered that you do very well is you bring groups of people together. And I'm curious what makes for someone who can bring together groups of people well, and how do you create and cultivate communities in, in these containers that benefit everyone? I think the first thing is that we live in an era where everyone's trying to look interesting Everyone's trying to, and it, you know, boils down to some sort of insecurity and cultivating an appearance that people will think that you think people will like you for. And, uh, it's that switch from trying to look interesting to just being interested in other people. And that switch allows you to see what you might learn and to bring a level of humility in your interactions. And people love that. You know, it's it's just an energetic thing that people can pick up on that they might not even be able to articulate, but they can feel that there's just a level of connection when there isn't a pretense. There's just authenticity in between two individuals, and you can only truly connect with somebody when they're both being authentic. So um, I think approaching, you know, human interaction with what can I learn from this individual, not what can I get, and uh, not having a plan of what of what you want to get out of something, but, you know, being attuned to what's alive in the moment. So that's, that's first probably. <laughs> AKA being present yeah. to the creation of what's happening in front of you. Yeah. And what are the ways you've done that? Gotten better at the skill of being present. Yeah. Well, again, it's just removing what's ever in the way of you doing that because that's your natural state. You know, we are in our essence inherently connected to all and that presence comes online, the more that we remove the narratives of thinking I should be or show up in some certain way, because again, it's usually boils down to some sort sort of worry about appearance. And so again, it's just paying attention to what's in the way of that. And if I were to come into this podcast interview with like two hours or 20 hours of preparation of everything that I want to say and really deliver this value. Some of that might resonate with people, but I think what arguably would be more impactful is just being alive to whatever is being presented in front of me and seeing what authentically arises in the moment. And that takes a little bit of, you know, courage and trust, I think initially. And then you start to realize, oh, it's not, it's not so scary, you know, and, uh, people are not thinking about you as much as you think that they are. Uh, yeah. 
when you think about the balance between preparation and presence, it's like it's undeniable that preparation does help. But at what point does the preparation get in the way of presence? It's a question that I've been trying to figure out since doing the podcast. In, uh, in what regard? Because the podcast conversation is one thing. If you're talking about just human interaction and connecting with people, that's another thing. If yeah. you're talking about preparing, you know, doing a speech on stage for a thousand people, that's another thing. So is there a specific flavor of that that your question was maybe more directed in or is it just kind of overall? Yeah, overall, because I was thinking about like basketball and like, you know, if, if a basketball player says like, I don't want to prepare, it's like, all right, you're just not going to do well. But then at some point they have to take all their preparation and just be like, this is what it is yeah. and be present to the creation that's happening in front of them. Because if they're in their head thinking about the preparation that they were doing and then they're not willing to just look at the moment, then it's like... So yeah, there's a couple different ways to look at this. For anybody who's concerned with performance or you know, you're know you a podcast host or you're a public speaker or you just you work a job somewhere where you do have to show up, how do you balance that you know dance between preparation and presence? There is this kind of four stages of learning that I've kind of you know learned way back that I really love where it's anytime you're trying to do something new, there's four stages of learning that you go, go through. The first one being unconscious incompetence. And this is where you don't know what you don't know. When it comes to tying your shoelace, you don't even know that shoelaces even exist. So it's complete ignorance. The next stage is conscious incompetence. It's where you're still incompetent at doing the thing, but at least you know that you don't know. So you know how to, you know, you know that shoelaces exist, for example. This third stage would then be conscious incompetence. And so this is where you're going to uh, be able to do something like tying the shoelaces or playing a scale on the piano, but it takes a lot of conscious effort and you you're, have to really be present to it. And then the final stage, which is really fun, which is where I think that presence at a high level can be unlocked is, is unconscious competency. And that's where your body knows it. And it's like on autopilot. And so I think that first off, you have to be able to come at ease within yourself. And that allows you to perform best when you're fully present and you're at ease within yourself. That's when, and you're filled with joy. That's when you're going to show up in, in whatever you're doing at your best capacity. And so, you know, part of it is the preparation of getting to that point where you've done it after doing a thousand podcasts or however many you've done, there's a certain rhythm and an understanding that you can just show up and that you're, you're, you have a baseline understanding of how good something can be. Uh, whether it's basketball, playing piano, or what, whatever skill it is, after you put in the energy and time to where your body knows it, then you can close your eyes and play the play the piano song, and you're so present with it, and you kind of merge in that, you know, the the doer and the doing kind of blend into one thing. And the same thing with basketball, I think. You know, you put in the hours of practicing your shot, and then it comes time to play and it's less mechanical and more effortless and that um, unlocks the presence. Yeah. What was so remarkable to me is I listened to episode two of your podcast yesterday and I was like, how is this guy so good at this? Like <laughs> you spoke so well, so clearly. And I was, I was blown away. I was like, this is his second podcast episode. <laughs> like people don't have a chance. You know? <laughs> so like, how are you so good at speaking, at presenting? on episode two. Thanks, dude. I think it's a journey. I think uh, 
I mean, I started at 15, 16, like hosting public me- public speaking events at my in my mom's basement and at friends' houses for this like business that I was involved in. I learned a lot about human interaction, networking, and then public speaking kind of in that time frame. And then over the past six, seven years, I've been around podcasting a lot. Um, you know, from launching, helping launch Impulsive to growing my own media production company to the point where I actually press record on my very first episode, I had a lot of practice of both speaking in front of camera, being behind the camera and just finding that comfort around it all. Uh, and so if somebody is p- making a complete life shift from working in a cubicle for 20 years to podcast host, I'm sure it would be more clunky, but I had a lot of practice and, you know, if you zoomed in at me at 16 or 17, it was very clunky. And it's still at times is clunky. I've just gotten a little bit better. <laughs> what do you think your gifts are? I think definitely one of my gifts is to be a bridge for uh, connection within other individuals. I've always had this kind of knack at seeing what other people are gifted at and facilitating connection in a way that elicits uh, insight in a way that elicits um, some sort of creation. And so I love doing these like roundtable discussion dinners where I kind of bring together certain minds to discuss topics off, often off camera. I'm going to start doing more on camera stuff like that in the future. Uh, facilitating human connection, bring a, being a bridge for that. Um, and I, I would, I think it's a gift that we all can cultivate, but maybe I had a more pro, uh, proclivity towards just having a more equanimous nature. So my ability to perceive the balance in all things, the, the light and dark side of any given thing allows me to see things more clearly as the way of the Tao, you know, to, to that middle way, that middle path and, uh, the work that I've done. And then also just grateful for, um, the the foundation that was laid for me perhaps in childhood that allowed me to then go on afterwards to continue to cultivate that. So throughout my own meditative practices and inquisitive nature, I've been able to develop that clarity of mind and uh, see clearly. I think that is a gift. What were the experiences that showed the light and dark from your own childhood? The experiences of light, I mean, if you just look at from a macro view, the light was having my basic needs met and a loving uh, family and sister and mother and father who uh, my mom, you know, my parents split when I was seven, eight. Uh, My mom, you know, worked super hard to support and provide for us. And so we lived a fairly like middle-class life, nothing too crazy, but we had what we needed, got gifts for Christmas, like grateful with all that. Uh, The most valuable thing that I would say is actually the invisible stuff, you know, where it's feeling like as a child, you were embraced and loved by mother in ineffable ways, even if it wasn't said, uh, actions speak way louder than words. And so that's one thing that I would say I'm just incredibly grateful for because it gave me a powerful reverence for the feminine and both my mom and my sister and how I choose to show up in the planet. That was definitely a very beautiful thing. And then the dark side, I mean, it's again, it depends how you perceive it because I look at certain challenges with, you know, my mom and dad having a lot of issues, you know, with, with certain things. And ultimately uh, while certain challenges appeared in the moment and was very difficult for my mom with certain abuse and, you know, my sister and what I did and didn't see uh, ultimately led to the gift that came on the other side of it, which was strength empathy, you know, different things like that. So uh, 
yeah, definitely certain challenges and karmic ties, if you will, with with my dad. But we're in a good place now, and um, and uh, I get a lot of my gifts from him too. So it's like you can't take the light without the dark, and and kind of realizing the whole package that it came in. We all have our own ancestral struggles challenges and gifts and aptitudes and so it's important to to pay attention to what those are often it's in that unconscious incompetency that we talked about earlier where we just don't know what we don't know uh but it's important to do that inner work and discovery because that's where gold is yeah also just so you know i'm happy to remove anything you want you don't want to say or discuss or, i'm gonna I'm open you know dude. I'm happy okay to, yeah, yeah. yeah i figured you were but i just want to give you that and For let sure, you know yeah, that yeah, yeah. because I want to know about your dad and your yeah. relationship with him initially and what it was like to experience that abuse as a child and then what it was like to repair that relationship with your dad. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to go there. Sure. Yeah, I guess certain things I'm mindful of just because, you know, he's alive and I don't, you know, I don't like to just pin him to that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, my so my 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 dad was born in Jordan. My mom was born in Ramallah, Palestine. Uh, first generation, so they moved here when they're late teens. Uh, but my sister and I are first generation here, and it is a completely different culture over there, especially for the masculine and how men are perceived and the relationship to the feminine. There's a lot of possessiveness. There's a lot of you know deep, 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 deep wounds there. And so coming over here, that expresses itself in many different ways, you know, and and just controlling of the feminine um expectation and you know certain physical and emotional abuse that was there that i look at him now and just see also knowing a little bit more of his past and how his family raised him and certain things with his father that hurt people hurt people and that uh, when you get enough context for somebody's path that understanding comes in and you no longer judge it and you can't judge something and understand it at the same time so it's like really being able to uh, have that context, but in the moment, you know, in growing up in childhood, yeah, there was those difficulties. Uh, and what that looked like was really my mom and my dad having a toxic relationship, you know, from, from probably five to 10, you know, and then when it got really bad, they split. And then my mom kind of raised us from eight, like seven, eight onwards. Uh, yeah. So what is that? What did that look like with your relationship with your dad? It looked like, I think one quality that we definitely both have is we love our independence and space. And so I live pretty remotely in, in the hills, uh, nature close to LA now. And like, I, I love my own space. I love to hermit. Um, I think that he, and, and something within the masculine as well, just men in general, I think that they're more silent sufferers. Mm. The majority of suicides come from men and yet it's not fashionable to talk about your pain as a man. Um, and so I think he struggled, you know, with with that, but more silently, like you don't express that as a man because you're tough and culturally it's like, you know, you just suck it up or whatever. Um, but but yeah, I think he he's learning his own way and growing up, uh, he kind of came back around like at 13 and we'd like meet up every couple of weeks and, um, you know, we'd go do stuff or go to the movies. And I see his attempt to kind of, you know, heal maybe what he perceived as certain wrongdoings and uh and yeah <laughs> and where do we stand today on it uh he he lives in michigan and 
we chat every now and then. It's not like a super close relationship, but it's something that I can, you know, cultivate more and more. And um, I think just because I don't feel the need to necessarily reach out to anybody or, you know, he's also very independent. Like, I think you could both stick us in a room with four walls independently. And as long as we had like some instruments to play or like to draw or to write, like we could just be totally fulfilled and good. So we both have that. And when two people have that, they don't feel the need to necessarily reach out as much. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it probably would be good. So, so it's, it, it's good now. Understood. Yeah, yeah. It's like whatever you you can't accept or sit with is where you're not free. Obviously you, you're aware of that. And it seems like you're at the place of like accepting your dad. And then I think that the next level beyond that is like loving him as the best version of himself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, a process that I'm going on right now with my dad of like, I accept him for who he is and, and what I felt like I didn't get, but I also want to love him. Like I would treat a podcast guest or love him. Like I would treat any person that I, I met, but because there's so much baggage there of the things that I didn't get, I feel like oh, I can't do that. And so it sounds like you're in a very similar place from what you said. And it's like, what would loving your dad like the best version of himself look like? Yeah, exactly. And just what would love do? And in this in this example, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, I think that we have the opportunity as we can go on that path and it takes work to be able to get to that point where you can even ask that question. So, you know, acknowledging that once you do arrive there, and and asking what would love do you know maybe it's bringing more of that fathering energy to your father which sounds weird to say sounds but normal it, but but to be able to provide uh just compassion that he never got i think that could be an incredibly healing relationship for both ends and you know as it's been said as you heal those ancestral you know wounds you heal seven generations back and seven generations forward so you have the responsibility to fully own whatever has been been disowned in that shadow material. It's been through your father, through their grandfather or mother's side and lineage. And you have the opportunity to transmute it in this life and give your lineage moving forward a completely different opportunity and chance at life. And so uh, I think that shows up in different ways for everybody who's listening and, you know, and tuning into this, but it's a powerful question to ask for sure. Where are you not free in your life? Well, I think the nature of the shadows, you can't see it. And so the honest answer is, I don't know. Um, now I, I might, you know, look at certain behaviors or certain behavioral adaptations where I see more opportunity for freedom. I think for me, historically, my path is like more expression, like unlocking more of my voice and, uh, you know, allowing the wild, messy, experience of human to just be there you know i think one thing that i definitely saw probably more because i witnessed that stuff with my dad earlier on is perceiving uh wild chaotic quote unquote if you want to call it that emotions as a bad thing Mm. and so when you label that (laughs) as the bad thing the barrier to your pain also becomes the barrier to your joy and the upper limit and so it's more of a process of just being freaking weird and expressing myself and playing music and singing, even if it's out of key. And like, just, you know, that's, I think, uh, uh, an area for me where I can discover more freedom. Um, and I think you're just catching me in the moment of like working really hard on something for the past couple months. So I've been like editing and working a lot on this project. And so 
I feel less free in my body than I did before. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. That's that's okay. Uh, and uh, and so more, yeah, more freedom in in my body and in in working out and and stuff like that. There, so there's there's the upper limit of the potential. Is like who's to say what that even is? I think, um, but the the most you know the most honest answer is just I don't know what I don't know, and I'm I'm open to what life is going to present to me to see where I can access more freedom. Yeah. I don't know is is such a great answer. How does the I don't know become something that you do know? How do you bring awareness to your own the things that are blocking you from freedom? Yeah. Well, it's just paying attention to your life and asking what what's what's up? Like how, how do I feel? How do I feel about my money, my finances, my relationships, my mind, my mental, my physical, my spiritual? Um, do I feel like I'm waking up with joy every single day going after a vision of a future that genuinely excites me? And if the answer is no to that, then you ask why. And um, it could be some sort of physiological tie that, you know, some sort of chemical imbalance. It could be that you're just not uh, living in alignment with your highest values in life. There's a myriad of different ways that then becomes the answer to to discovering, you know, what that is. Um, but I, I think it's by first off paying attention. I think attention is our spiritual currency. And I think that, the more that we allow our attention to be reclaimed by ourselves as sovereign individuals and not distorted and uh, taken by social media, our phones and technology, the more that will it will be. You will be so surprised the miraculous nature of the human spirit that comes unlocked as a byproduct of you reclaiming your your own attention and um and so by paying attention, I feel like you you get there and to pay attention, you first need to get quiet. Mm. And that has been a powerful practice of just coming into silence in my own meditative practices and finding silence in so many, you know, myriad of different ways, because when you get quiet, what needs to be heard gets loud. Say and that so, again. When you get quiet, what needs to be heard gets loud. Yeah. And so if you were to sit in a room for yourself for, you know, with yourself for 24 hours and you gave yourself no distractions, whatever is going to need to come up will come up. And maybe that's a trauma. Maybe that's a memory. Maybe that's, you didn't do your freaking taxes. It could be anything, you know, but uh, whatever tabs are open in your consciousness that are not leading you to have clarity and a purity of mind and uh, of, of spirit, then that'll become prevalent in your consciousness and field. And then uh, you can do something about it. What is that? What is that, that when you are just silent, the truth comes out and that you know in your heart of hearts what what you need to do or the problem you need to solve? Like, what is that? So, yeah, there's many different ways to, to, to perceive it. And Gawanka's lineage of Vipassana and the Pali language, there's, there's this word Sankara, which is essentially impressions. Mm. And so impressions are uh, anything... You know, our, our conscious mind can accept and reject, but our subconscious mind is always on record and it cannot reject. So whatever you're experiencing in life, it's being oppressed upon your subconscious mind, whether it's in a conscious or unconscious state, whether you're asleep, whether you're awake, whether you're enjoying something or you're hating something, whether it's playing on the radio while you're not paying attention or you're deeply in, into a song, it's, it's being impressed upon in your subconscious mind. And so coming into relation with how memory works and how these oppressions, impressions are accumulated, 
largely of largely who we think we are is just an accumulation of impressions, which is conditioning. And so as you start to become silent, those sankaras then kind of bubble up to the surface. It's just the natural, it's the natural process of a human being in our path of evolution, which is ultimately to become free. And so as you get quiet, those memories, those impressions start to come up and become freed as you start to pay attention to it. And there's many different meditative practices and, um, techniques to be able to allow to transmute those. Uh, but really, you don't have to do a whole lot other than just allowing them to come up and out. And uh, and so it's just a natural byproduct of what happens. Is that, is it God? Like telling you the the truth of what you need to do? God is a very loaded word. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and so- What is I, God? Let's just start with that. What is God to you? Hmm. God, I feel like is the the accumulation of all that is. I mean, I don't know how to say it, it, it's all that is, and and all that will be, and all that was. You know, I I look at for what those impulses for what's coming in and out instead of labeling it as because I think a lot of people have the conditioning of a monotheistic God of a God of a dude in his, you know, on, on top of the clouds with the, with the beard. Um, but just looking at the natural process of what is and that energy wants to be moved. It can't be created or destroyed. So if it's stored in your system, it's going to be there and will manifest in some sort of illness, disease, schizophrenia, um, or a positive conditioning. It doesn't always have to be negative or you move it and transmute it out of yourself and then it, it, it leaves you. Uh, so whatever it is, the natural by the natural urge of it is to find expression in some form. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you have a bunch of quotes that I want to talk to you about. Okay. The quotes are great. You mentioned one before your attention is your spiritual currency, but I want to talk about a couple other ones you have here, which is true inner freedom is the freedom from the compulsive urge to be anywhere other than where you are right now. That's powerful. And what gets in the way of that? Well, again, we have to go back to the key word there, which is freedom. And most people perceive freedom as the ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want, which is a certain level of financial lifestyle freedom. That's there for sure. But if you do whatever you want, whenever you want, it can quickly evolve into like being on this hedonic treadmill of more pleasure seeking and chasing dopamine. And what you might want to do in any given moment is go jerk off watching the porn. <laughs> what you might want to go do is binge eat a bunch of Twinkies in your, in your pantry. There's uh, so many different ways, you know? And, and so if you want to have real freedom, which is I, in that quote, I, I say is the, is the urge, you know, it's freedom from the urge to be anywhere other than where you are right now. That again is a process of what we've just been speaking to of coming into relationship with com com our compulsory nature to begin with, uh, which is when we are so closely identified with our own thought and emotion, then we are going to be at the whim of whatever the conditioning is and however we feel or think in the moment. When we create some distance from our own thought and emotion, then we can uh, choose actually consciously what we want to do in our life and go in that direction. And that to me is is freedom. It's not freedom when you're moving from urges that are coming and arising out of the unconscious that ultimately aren't your choice to begin with. 
Could you give the the example or an example of someone who you helped guide to more freedom? An example of somebody that I've helped guide. Yeah, because I'm yeah. sure by virtue of you being a mirror and you on the path sure. to more more freedom, you you help people by virtue mm-hmm. of just you being. That's yeah. been what I've seen for myself. It's just like I ask yeah, questions yeah. to people and holds up a mirror to them. Yeah. And that gives them more freedom in that moment. Yeah. There's I mean uh, there's so many, of course, but sure. like but taking the theoretical to the practical, I think is yeah. very important for people to hear. Yeah. Just trying to think of which one, you know, I have a lot of conversa- conversations around this, you know, with my men's group or people in my life. Um, one friend I was on a hike with a little while ago, uh, she was really struggling in a way that she wasn't showing people and was have, have like these really depressive, almost like suicidal thoughts and tendencies that she wasn't like letting people in on and um, getting to tune in with her and, uh, just creating a safe space for her to know that she can share whatever she's going to share and that it's not going to be judged or try to be fixed right off the bat, but it'll just, I'll just be present to it and hold a loving space for allowed her to truthfully express what was going on. And um, yeah, it got really real how dark it was and like certain actions and thoughts that she was having in her life. Um, And the first things first, I just always try to do is just to be with somebody's reality and understand how difficult whatever they're experiencing is without coming in with a masculine force of trying to provide a solution to it, which is as men can be such our, you know, tendency. But I, you know, after, after holding her in that space and just like letting her know that it was there for her, um, which inherently creates, uh, it d- dissolves the tension inherently when somebody can just be witnessed and what it is. Sometimes people just need to be witnessed. They just need to have somebody experience whatever the reality is and know inherently energetically that they're not alone going through it. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing was the insight into reframing whatever the difficulty was, which in this case was potentially suicide. And the the reframe was maybe you're not meant to die, but maybe this version of you is meant to die and this identity that you've been holding onto is long past how long you've been supposed to be holding onto it. And it's past this expiration date and it's time to let that go. And oftentimes who we think we are, how we're supposed to live our life and how we're not living up to it is creating this kind of fractured consciousness in which we're living our life. And with that, of course, you're gonna have depressive tendencies because you're living so out of the life that you think you should be living. And so that allowed her to to, to drop into just stop being so hard on herself. And I think when you create that space of like kind of not taking your your identity and personality so seriously, then you can start to maybe explore taking some different actions and being around certain, you know, other individuals and changing certain lifestyle things that can give rise to more of that kind of effervescent joy that we're all capable of. Uh, but yeah, so it was in that case, it was just creating a loving space and reflecting back what I felt true in the moment. And were there any specific questions you asked or any specific things you did other than create the space? I think it's more of an intuitive process, especially for me. You know, I think that there's uh, incredible coaches and individuals that have like pattern, pattern recognition. And it kind of, I feel like it does go to that place after a long time where you kind of just see the certain patterns. Um, But how that is presented to an individual, I feel like is really important to see what's alive in the moment and what the intuitive process is. And so, um, 
Yeah, it's just, it's such a case-by-case moment that I can't put like a blanket question on on that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I want to continue on with with quotes from you because right. you're, you're a great writer. Thanks, dude. The goal is is not to be good at meditation. It's to be good at life. Meditation helps. I thought that was so beautiful because I so often, I recommend people start with 20 minutes of meditation. But it's like, what are you going to do with the meditation when you're not meditating? The real aim of the meditation is to make life the meditation. So could you say a little bit more about that and what what that means? Yeah, so there's this like, I think this notion that a lot of Westerners, myself at times included, approach spirituality with this capitalistic mind of acquisition. And I'm doing this to get to another place. Now, of course, having a proper meditation practice will have incredible ripple effects on your life. Um, I'm a huge advocate of of that and proper meditation. Uh, but another pitfall on the path is thinking that to put freedom off into some future state is to n- deny yourself of the possible reality in this moment. And so if you think that freedom is a place you're getting to, that acknowledges your own unenlightenment and how not free you are in this moment, okay? Which is one level of looking at it, it's more like the dualistic side of things. And the more non-dual approach is to bring a quality of meditativeness into everything that you do. And so a practice of 20 minutes a day meditation can allow you to more readily access that state, but it's upon you and your waking life, doing the dishes, talking to your girlfriend, walking the dog to uh, pay attention to notice your breath, to uh, just be bring that level of, meditative, of meditativeness, of mindfulness, of presence in everything that you're doing, which is a practice of will. Like it's, it's oftentimes fighting that own conditioning that we have of our own thought process to whatever we should be doing other than where we are right now. And so it's a, it's a process that meditation can help with and then you have more spontaneous moments of joy and and incredible amounts of presence in your regular daily life. Like when I'm just walking down, I was going to like do a cold plunge this morning and whatever, for whatever moment, the beauty of life can just hit you for no reason. Like it can just hit you. And if people don't need a reason to be miserable all the time, I definitely don't need a reason to be freaking joyful. So (laughs) I'm not going to point to a reason, but I can simply take in and of course, beautiful views and people and food like these can all be you know uh inspirations and triggers for that but it can also be the simplest thing of this like praying mantis that was outside my sauna this morning and like what a freaking cool creature you know and and so allowing that spontaneous joy to to arise in the moment uh is something that you that builds on itself i feel like the the rebuttal to this is like there's so many problems in the world how could i feel joy how could i when there's so much bad that's going on what do you tell people who come to you with that response? If you want to be actually effective and providing solutions to the world, you just look at it clearly. Are you more effective as an individual when you're stressed out or you're joyful? When you're at ease within yourself, you always think clearly. I mean, I think of so many times when I've been like lost, I like lost a ring or lost my keys and like I'm, I'm like a little bit more frantic because I'm trying to go and I can never freaking find the things. But then when like, I just don't care, I'm like, I wonder where it is. I should probably look there and it's right there every single time, you know, because I bring more ease. And now I've kind of made that a thing where if I've lost something, I just take a deep breath. I just tune, I'm like, where is this thing? I just kind of start looking around without the attachment of needing to find where it is. And then I find it every single time. 
So the point is having a sense of ease and clarity of mind is going to be the best means in which you provide solutions that actually move the needle on whatever it is. Now, I understand at times when it's like when you're perceiving like, you know, uh, really devastating things like, like what's happening right now with Palestine and Israel, like I'm not saying that this happens flawlessly all the time. I'm not saying that you can't be overwhelmed with uh, with grief and and sadness when you see such horrendous activities unfolding on the planet. Like there's there's room for the compassion of our own humanity in those moments. Um, but if you want to be effective in actually providing solutions, then staying there is not going to be the best energy in which you're going to infuse whatever you want to do. Yeah. It, it's such a double-edged sword, the fact that we've been connected to every person by virtue of the internet, but now we also have every problem that exists available for us. We have all the information and all the problems at the same time. And the question becomes so often, it's like, how do you choose which to focus on in any given moment? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to not be completely ignorant to what's happening on the planet. Like, of course, and there is a balance just like with anything. And the human system and mind is not developed to hold the capacity of the amount of tragedy that we are exposed to. And so it's important to not be on our little infinity box in our phone that has, you know, constantly negative news with CNN or whatever news source that is consistently feeding us everything that's wrong that's happening on the planet. Because the reality is, and I actually had an interesting conversation with my recent uh, podcast guest, Dr. Martini. He was talking about the peace and war index on the planet and that mm. it's always pretty much in balance. Really? Yeah. And if, I mean, if you tune into the consciousness of people right now, everyone probably thinks like, World War III is upon us, like shit's getting really bad. But you look at any system, there is the antithesis to the light of the dark in equal measure at every scale. Like we live in a dual universe to where the capacity for, you know, the advent of AGI has so much potential upside as it does for a dystopic reality. And it's like that with everything. And so uh, I think we we can really tune in to feeling how bad things are on the planet, but there's equally incredible things happening on the other side. And so it's important to acknowledge both. Yeah. Are there any particular practices you do to make sure you don't have the infinity box, as you call it, in your consciousness at all times? Yeah, the most important thing is at night and when you wake up, mm. your subconscious mind is most receptive, the brainwave states that you have as you're falling into sleep and waking up are very susceptible to how the energy then carries throughout the rest of your day. And so me putting my phone on charger at night, like at 8 PM, and then not using it after that in a completely separate room from where my meditation room is and where my bedroom is. Then when I wake up and I have moments where, you know, I, f I fail at this, of course. <clears throat> um, but uh, waking up and going, straight into my own morning practice and flow that I know feeds me on a mind, body, spirit level, then I'm not waking up and going straight into the compulsive energy. One really interesting thing that I've been thinking about this is it's not just about the negative cascade of effects that happens when you pick up your phone and the blue light and, you know, thinking of all the things that you have to do, which is of course going to build and, and create stress, but you're also reinforcing the perception of you being a somebody right off first thing in the morning. Mm. You're reinforcing the notion that you're somebody that has to get to all these things. You're identified as a worker, as somebody that has to do all of these things instead of somebody that you know that gets to do all of those things. And so it's really important 
you know, quality to pay attention to that I'm reinforcing in a subtle way is this notion of self by going on and seeing what all of these things that who I think I am has to do and be in the morning. And you mentioned the flow before. What what yeah. goes into the flow? Uh, so my, like my morning practice yeah. and that flow. So slightly changes. It always in, includes, uh, I have a meditation room in my house. And um, so I go in there and I have my own flow. If it's cold, I turn the red light on. If it's not, then I just go into my own kind of yoga flow, which is like typically only like 10 minutes. But there are these preparatory asanas that go into this practice. I've been doing Shambhavi Mahamudra, which is a Kriya that you can learn from inner engineering. I've been doing that for like seven years. So it's like a meditative practice. It's like a 21, 21 minute practice with alternate nostril breathing and 21 ohms and uh, breath work and breath holds and different things like that can really put you in a powerful state. Um, and then some sort of emptiness meditation. And then if I'm gonna like roll out, I roll out. If not, then I usually go get some movement, get some sunlight. If I'm gonna do a sauna and cold plunge, I usually do that on days I'm not working out or before my podcasts and uh, really just taking care of myself. And so maybe I'm going on a morning walk uh, that, you know, listening to a, a podcast guest that I'm about to have on my show or an audiobook preparing for a podcast. Um, so it usually includes movement, sunlight, meditation and some sort of learning you know so some uh, positive information uh in the form of a podcast audiobook or something like that and what do you do on the days where you can't the days where i can't to be honest there's not a whole lot of days where i can't i i you know some days maybe are busier than others or from traveling it's a little bit yeah difficult that's what i um, and I think that I used to be very militant about it. Like I just, I just never would miss like for years. I never would miss. I don't care. I'm just doing it at the airport. You know, I haven't slept. I just put that as a higher priority than sleep. Hmm. Um, and now I've, I've become a little bit more chillax with it. Uh, but I, I still get it in. And if I feel like it's uh, more of a time crunch or whatever it is, then, um, just taking a few grounding breaths or taking a couple minutes and just pivoting into something that's much more quick, but can still be effective and just kind of recentering and rebalancing yourself. So if I can't do the full shebang with a sauna, cold plunge, morning walk, an audiobook, <laughs> and hour meditation, then uh, then I'll just do something less extensive uh, that's still helpful, like a shorter meditation, uh, maybe a quick little five minute breath work. Yeah. Well, the reason why I bring it up is because there's dependency that that can happen if you're in that state. Yeah. And it's like, you are the light. You have it. Wherever you go, you are full of the energy and the life force. And like, if you didn't do your morning meditation for one day, that's okay. Like you are still bringing your energy and presence with you wherever you go. Yeah. I, I fully feel that. And like- Give six, me the pushback. Well, this, I mean, six months ago, I- I had a small little surgery getting rid of a pilonidal cyst, which is like at the base of your spine. It's like super random. Some guys in their 20s and 30s get it. But after that, I didn't realize I couldn't like sit for two weeks. And so I couldn't meditate really like for two weeks. It was very painful to like sit down. Um, so I was like standing and like laying on my side were my options. <laughs> and I noticed the quality of my mind at the end of those two weeks where I didn't have my morning practice and flow, just like more like a pessimistic outlook on life and... <laughs> Of course, you are the light of your consciousness and, and you can abide in the place that's outside of your thought and emotion and all that. And the actions that we do, like if we're not exercising, if we're not eating the clean food, if we don't have some form of getting sunlight in the morning and 
those practices that can really center us, then we're just not going to be reaching our capacity as a, as a human being, psychologically, physiologically, energetically, all of it. So, so yes, and you know, the the practices really do translate to a certain state of being, and uh, it's important to recognize that state of being is accessible, irrespective of uh, any practices. Yes, very well said. How are you cho- choosing love today? Um, I try more and more to not live my life in the pursuit of love, but as an expression of love. And so to give some nuance to that, it's the getting really intentional with the individuals that I have in my life and who I want to pour into mm-hmm. and that the relationships in my life, I can really just give um, and show up for and uh, lean on each other when we need that. But like to really just show up in a, in a state of service, I think love, devotion, service, these are all words that can be kind of synonyms. And so whether it's in my personal dynamics of relationships whether it's with my purpose and my career and my podcast, that is a way in which I show up and try to really honor my community, my guests, the audience, um, and show up as a space of love in, in those instances. And then to also bring that loving embrace into my into my own self, you know, whenever I'm being hard on myself or different things like that, to just come back into, you know, looking at old pictures of myself in dorm rooms and, and uh, just realizing I've come a long way. So what's the negative thought that is most recurrent in your mind? Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 feeling into it. I'm trying to think. I, you know, I w- I would say it's more of a subtle energy of uh Yeah, it, it creeps up on you the feeling like you should be somewhere other than where you are re- really is what it comes down to. So it's I would just categorize it under stress and stress uh you know, it's it's the energy of not being as appreciative for something that I could be and more of like an expectation. So it's a switch between expectation and appreciation, I would say. And that can manifest as, you know, negative thoughts of like, damn, I got all these emails or, you know, uh, again, that get to or that feeling of I have to do something instead of I get to do something. Yeah. It's also like the, a lack of presence being somewhere else yeah or wanting to be somewhere else for sure yeah look at you being all present right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah man i mean it's it's a good reminder Mm -hmm. how do you think podcasting has made you a better human being how has podcasting not made me a better human being? Yeah. Literally every single aspect of it has completely transformed my life from the preparation that I have to do and learning to be able to fully create a good interview and reading people's books, listening to their audiobooks or going, you know, listening to podcasts they've been on. I get to be a student of that in preparation. Uh, it makes me a better communicator and articulator of ideas and my own ideas. The more that I speak and 
it's a dance that's between two consciousnesses for up to, you know, often two or up to three hours sometimes where, you know, this very well, like you, you just, it's a continual revelatory process. You're learning so much about yourself in the process of somebody learning about themselves and sharing their areas of expertise. So the conversations in and of themselves, um, the community that gets to build and seeing the real hand impact of people, you know, coming up to me or sharing stuff online that uh, I get to receive and let seep in and acknowledge how beautiful that is. So literally every aspect of it is incredibly fulfilling, um, except for the moments where you're doing like the back end work and you got to do, you know, there's a crunch and deadline. There's, of course, sometimes you got to, you know, do that stuff. But um, to be honest, I have an incredible team that's been able to support with a lot of that too. So I've tried best as quickly as possible, outsource the parts that feel more tedious to me. Yeah. And then what about outside of the conversations themselves? How has that, how has you podcasting allowed you to um, be different in conversation in just your day to day? There's a couple things. The rain's coming in on us right I now. Know. Is, I know. I love that. It's, it's great. Beautiful. It's romantic. I hope you guys can hear this. <laughs> Let me see if I could do a video to give people a, a sense. It's hard to capture the video yeah, of rain. It is. That is, you that can, is true. You cannot see it. Um. Yeah. What's up, David? <laughs> the uh. I I would say how it. One thing is when you're in your when you're showing up in your life as an expression of what you feel like your genius is, like you're showing up how you're kind of meant to, and that can be loaded, but, but really it's just showing up in a way that is an expression of your own inner genius. Um, then when you walk into rooms, your reputation, your reputation precedes you. And so, uh, people kind of already know what you're about. Oftentimes people feel like they know you more than they do their own family, which they might because they listen to countless hours of you talking. And so there's that. Um, again, with that reputation credibility side of things, it kind of opens up avenues and doors for connecting with some pretty rad humans and people that are playing at big scales in life. And um, just a level of respect that comes in when people see what you're about. So that's a, that's a really cool thing. And yeah, just the off-camera connections that happen afterwards. I think some of my best friends have come from podcasting that I didn't know before and the doors that that's opened and just getting to meet such incredible individuals. I'm a connoisseur of personality and human consciousnesses and I just love meeting the different flavors of how humans can express themselves. It's beautiful. And yeah. you, you love podcasting so much and it's made such a positive impact on you that you've built a course that's available yeah. for people to purchase. This is true, yeah. Spent the past like six months. When you feel like you have so much knowledge in a field, but you're not really using it as much because I'm just like mainly focusing more and more on my own podcast these days. But, you know, from launching Impulsive to building the media company to uh, supporting so many people with their podcast stuff and then launching my own, having that, the full kind of 360 side of the host, the audience, the production, the front end, the back end, everything in between. I decided I wanted to create a program and a course that could really support people that um, want to start, launch, or grow an existing thriving podcast. And there's there's some good advice out there, but it's very scattered. And there's a lot of really important metrics when it comes to growing a thriving podcast from the packaging and the logistical side of things to the interview side of things, the production quality that I just don't see being really talked about in a, in a proper way. And so I took kind of all my expertise, poured it into over 40 videos and created a whole structure around it. So anybody who wants to start a podcast, 
it's the course for you <laughs> for sure. So yeah, it's awesome. Um, and I think it's going to just be on podcastpurpose.com is, is going to be where people can find that. Podcastpurpose.com. Podcast purpose. That's beautiful. And what do you learn about podcasting by virtue of you creating this course? Mm. Really, you know, when it, when it boils down to what feeling into what is going to move the needle for most people, because mm -hmm. I can, you know, talk about all the technicals and the equipment and how to, the RSS feed and getting everything set up on the podcasting side of things, which people can find out. And, you know, there's certain things that I think people really need to pay attention to in terms of the packaging of the episodes for people to really release um, and reach the people because you can have incredibly valuable content, but if you're not reaching the people, then they won't get to receive your message and what you want to share. And so it's really important to pay attention to that. What I've been really paying attention to is who we become along the process of being a podcaster and the technicals and the interview process, all that stuff is really valuable, but there's a level of self-belief that needs to be cultivated for you to really own stepping into and separating yourself from what is such a saturated and noisy industry. There's so many podcasts these days. And if you want to become a successful podcast and have a thriving podcast, you need to discover truly who you are, what you care about, what moves the needle in terms of what you would talk about if time and money didn't exist, what lights you up in life so much to the degree you would do it without getting paid. And that passion is going to be the only thing that allows you to drive to actually have the longevity of creating a successful show and then find the guests and put up with some of the more tedious parts of it in the beginning until you build out a team that can help with that. But really the, the self-work that we have to do as a byproduct, um, as a host and how we can contribute in our own conversations and how we can, um, really show up for our guests and our audience and, uh, the, yeah, podcasting as a process of self-discovery, really. So that's what I've been really feeling into also in the creation of the course. That's really well said. And that's, I feel like I'm more me by virtue of doing this show. Yeah. And that's something that I think everyone has the opportunity to uncover. And it's like almost podcasting has become the spiritual practice, which is a fascinating thing that I never thought would happen or, or knew could happen. Yeah. It's, of course, a very fascinating idea for so many people it's like i feel like the best job on the planet to get paid handsomely to sit down to talk to the most brilliant minds and then share that as a gift for the world like this podcasting is incredible i love it so much and if for people that are like feeling into starting a podcast but maybe are intimidated because there's so many or the unknowns or whatever like I encourage if there's that hint, if there's that feeling to like just just to do it, to try it, just do it for the conversations in and of itself. Don't have this ideal of it needing to be this big crazy thing. It can evolve into that, but um do it for the love and the growth of it and uh and then see what comes as a byproduct of you following that passion. I'm just curious for you, like I'm sure who you were, you know, six months ago, a couple of weeks ago, let alone three years before you even started, was a completely different version that is not even in the same realm if you hadn't talked to all these individuals and gotten to go on this journey. Yeah, it is. And yeah. it's it's the ability to sit with different consciousnesses. Yeah. And even consciousnesses that I once admired and not and being able to say that's a human being and treat them as that. Like to me that's been the biggest growth particularly in the last yeah. 3 months let's say. So that's that's a fascinating thing too. When you read people or you experience them and then you're able to actually see them and sit down with them, it's it's a really 
it changes your perception of it. I mean, we were talking before about how being doing a podcast versus witnessing one is two different experiences. Oh, for sure, it's so different. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it changes how you view it when you're actually sitting in the seat. For you, what do you think is the pain? What What's the thing that lights you up that you're like, how do people not understand this? Or when people do this, it pisses you off. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I mean, the first thing is like, the meat and potatoes of everything, no matter of how how much you tried to get the technicals and package your episode, if the conversations aren't inherently valuable, which can mean a lot of things, value <clears throat> is subjective. And whether you have a comedy show or it's a personal development show, like one of ours, you know, there's a lot of different ways people can find value from a podcast. Um, but when people ask the same questions and don't do their research, that is one thing. It's like, it's just, to me, it feels like a disservice to the individual you're sitting across from. You're not honoring them in their life's path. And then also the people that are spending hours, like, especially when you scale up and there's like hundreds of thousands of watch hours every single week or month in your podcast, think of how much life that is. And with that, there's a certain level of reverence and respect and responsibility for you to bring into the process of the interview in and of itself. So that's one thing that I think is super important of like what the content actually is. And then the second side of things is really the the production and more so the packaging. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, especially if you're going to have a video podcast, which is super necessary, if you're going to grow a new show, it's just much harder to grow on audio only to have a video podcast, to understand YouTube as its own beast completely and the thumbnails, titles, topics for each podcast and how to curtail that um, to really, just by making some of those small changes, a podcast that would get a thousand views can get a hundred thousand views or more. And so those are some things in which, I mean, it doesn't necessarily pain me, but I know that if people learned certain key things there that... Um, their podcast could grow ways, you know, more substantially. And that could then lead them to getting bigger guests on their show and making more money for through sponsorships. And so much can come just by becoming aware of what you were once ignorant to in terms of the the media side of things on the back end. So uh, so those are the, the two that stick out first and foremost. I'm so excited to take it and go <laughs> through it. Like it it sounds like right up my alley in terms of what I need in this moment. More generally speaking, yeah. what what pisses you off or what makes you upset about life in general or specific situations in general? Yeah, I mean, what's happening right now on the planet with mm -hmm. Israel-Palestine is just, yeah, there's moments of anger and there's also just a lot of moments of just sadness for what's happening to people and and feeling into, especially with the stuff with the children, with mm -hmm. like the, the, yeah, man, it's just, it's so heartbreaking to see that. And again, it can be too much when you're constantly fed like, 30 babies being taken off electricity, newborns, you know, in a, in a hospital or children being kidnapped or killed. And there's certain things that just, just, I don't like, I don't care how enlightened you are. If that doesn't move you, you're not human, you know? Um, so that, that, that's been getting to me and I've just been discerning how I can best be of service and facilitating certain conversations on Instagram live or my own podcast moving forward to be able to bring awareness as to the deeper issues of, of the land of the people there also me being part Palestinian. And like, I have a lot of connection with that. So mm. navigating that for sure. Um, and then I guess other, just like pain points gross over the past six months, I've, 
uh, I've taken a big jump into the direction that I feel like I want to move in. And that's financially stressed, like stretched me and at times stressed me also more than ever, ever before. Um, the place that I moved to, like I stepped, I stepped into like, all right, I'm jumping into a level here of, of rent, of expanding the team and payroll of so much that I will have to become a new version of me to be able to meet that. Wow. And so there's so many different ways we can stress or stretch ourselves. I keep slip Freudian slipping stress. <laughs> but uh tell us how you really feel. I know, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but there's so many different ways in which we can stretch ourselves mentally, physically, financially. And it's like a process of biting off more than you can chew and figuring out how to swallow it. Yeah. And so that's just come in, in many different ways with my podcast, with the growth of the team, with rent, with all of that. And that's uh, great. You know, gratefully, I'm grateful that this has happened. It's put me in a position to think from a 10x model instead of uh, incremental 2x, 3x, you know, but how can I think at a much bigger scale? And uh, so that's been, that's been a fun side of things as well. What preceded that, that thought? Well, what preceded the whole thing initially is I was living in Venice. I was splitting, you know, rent with my partner. Blue at the time we separated, took that whole thing on, um, and uh, then launched my own podcast also in that place. And then I was looking because my lease was going to be up soon, and I was looking at different places um, where where I live now, and I found this place that was ridiculously expensive. You know, like. <laughs> way more than I thought that I would want to ever spend for rent. And I was just kind of going, honestly, more so like to like vision board it and like, you know, feel into the energy of it. Like, it's like one day, one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I went there and I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> I like meditated on the property. It's got the most expansive, ridiculous view. I'm like, I'm curious, the version of me that becomes available in this space. Mm. I wonder who I will be and what I will have to... um not just for my resources, but my resourcefulness to be able to cultivate, to make something like this happen. And then as I sat with it for another week or two, I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's go in. Like I'm 26. Now is the time to take risks. Like go all in. Okay, wait, wait. Take us through that week. Yeah. What happens in that week of you processing the decision that yeah. is going to expand you? Because I think that's a very important place for yeah. people to think about. Yeah. Uh, so it first started out with, hesitation, doubt, uncertainty of whether or not I would be able to make something like that happen. Then came a deeper level of trust of what would happen if I leapfall into this completely into the unknown to see, I don't know how I'm going to make this, you know, rent happen or expand the team and um, certain things like that. I don't know how it's going to happen, but what would it look like to just trust the universe? And the process that I want people to hopefully gain some value from here is I really tuned into myself. I really tuned in to why I'm here, what I want to be doing, the level of service that I'm here to impact. And when I felt into that, like if you really tune in, ask yourself, is there a limit to the capacity that I can give? No, there's not. There's not a limit to the capacity in which I can give. Is there a limit to the capacity in which I can receive? Mm -hmm. The initial answer might be yeah. But if you tune in deeper, 
No, there's not a limit to the capacity in which you can receive. And so, so much of uh, us not achieving what we want in life comes down to us believing we're not deserving of it. And so I really tuned into a reclamation of what I was here to do, the scale I want to play at. And with that will require me to take risks. I look back at my whole path and it's been a series of investing in myself and taking risks into the direction that I intuitively feel I'm being pulled towards and that I want to go in, but it's still in the unknown. I'm unclear of how it's going to happen, what's going to happen. And, uh, and then came the moment where, you know, you got to actually jump and, and take that risk. And that came in many different chapters of life from leaving the Maverick house to starting my own company, to jumping into this situation and starting my own podcast and the, and the new place I live. And, you know, all of those require uh, a deeper level of courage, which I feel like comes when you tune into really who you are, why you're here at the level that you want to receive and, um, and admitting to yourself that you deserve it really. Hmm. Because so often it's, I don't deserve this. Who am I to get this? Yeah, I'm just, and I, I, I'm familiar with that pattern of feeling comfortable being the cameraman, the dude behind the scenes, the right. supporting role. Like, I get that, and I like that part of me as well that likes to be of service and doesn't need to be seen or whatever. And then it switches and says, okay, but there comes a point where you're limiting yourself, and maybe you're fearful of the capacity in which your light has to shine, and. So paying attention to the ways in which we are self-obstructing and it's really kind of all self-obstruction at some level, you know, and, and so paying attention to, all right, why would I limit like, like this is available on the menu platter of life. Uh, I choose yes. <laughs> <laughs> I choose yes. That's, that's a great place to, to bring this conversation to a close. I like to end these podcasts with challenges for okay. people, challenge points to the place in your heart. You believe someone should take this conversation and actually do something with it. What's mm. a challenge that comes to mind? So I think that everybody who's listening to this right now has a specific challenge that life is presenting them. Maybe mm. it's financial, maybe it's relationship, maybe it's career, um, maybe it's mental, maybe it's physical. There is a challenge that life is presenting to us. And I do believe that the challenge becomes the way in which we ultimately reveal more of who we truly are. And so the challenge is to allow yourself to have the perspective shift of how what your difficult, your difficulty in whatever your difficulty in life is right now, whatever you're experiencing, to be able to re reframe it and see how this could be happening for you instead of how it's happening to you. And so whatever it is, whatever our difficulty is, whatever challenge we're currently facing, we have a deeper, if we stop BSing ourselves and we go within and we start paying attention to what we truly know that we need and is being asked of us from life, not just what we want, but what life wants of us, then we can get clear and whatever the risk is, the uncertainty is, like allow this conversation and closing challenge to just be a permission slip for you to jump into that uncertainty and to learn how to swim and, and figure it out, you know, wh when you're in there. And so just to move in the direction of discomfort um, that is ultimately tied to your growth, whatever that looks like is I think the invitation I want to close on. So beautiful. Where can we send people to connect with you further? Yeah. If people want to find me, they can find me on know thyself, Andre Duquam. I'm on Instagram, YouTube, know thyself podcast. 
the course again, podcastpurpose.com and people can check that out. And that's, yeah, that's it. Well, dude, I'm a, I'm standing up for your ability to express your ability to be, um, I'm so grateful for your presence on this podcast, your energy, your light. Um, it's really remarkable. It's cool to witness an evolution happening in front of me. I noticed that I sense that, and, uh, I'm excited to see you step into bigger and bigger things in the coming decades. Thanks, bro. I really appreciated this podcast and ditto everything back to you. It's really cool how much you honor your guests. And part of why, you know, I said yes and like thought it would be cool to come on is because I can notice, um, because I'm also a podcast though, so you can know when somebody's actually dedicated to their craft versus like it's a side hobby they're trying to like get lucky with. <laughs> yes. And I know how serious you're taking this and how much you really want to serve people and um, so, so thanks for doing your preparation. Thanks for really honoring myself. And, uh, dude, I can only imagine where you're going to be six months, 12 months from now with this podcast. It's already impacting so many people, but I'm here to support in any way that I can, man. Appreciate you. Well, you're supporting with the podcast course. I'm about to go. I got through, you, so dude. I'll hook you. you up. Yeah. Appreciate you.